0: It's the Noon Report from Family Life. Bringing a Christian worldview to what's happening in New York, Pennsylvania, across the country, and around the world. Weather with Kevin Williams, plus special features and reports with the Family Life News team. Now, here's what's happening.
1: March for Life. Good afternoon. Welcome to the broadcast. A pro-life parade began today with a public prayer in our nation's capital. Unite us
2: as we march forward into a post-Roe America.
1: Tens of thousands have flocked to the National Mall in Washington, D.C. for today's 51st annual March for Life. We have our work cut out for us to change hearts and minds and to educate on this issue.
3: The heart of the pro-life movement is to
1: help both mother and baby and father, I mean families, to flourish. We're not just for the baby. Jeannie Mancini is president of the March for Life. There's
2: so much Confusion in our culture over abortion. And really, the confusion is is abortion good for women? And spoiler alert, it's not.
0: Yeah. It's never good for women and it's never good for the baby.
1: Christina Fadden is a pro-life activist from Syracuse. We
0: have the votes and the other side often has the money. So with the money, they drove out a message that was really a lot of fear-mongering. But we're slowly seeing as people come to understand what the real terms are, especially in a state like New York, where it's very extreme. More and more people are quietly on our side.
1: Robin Chambers with focus on the family. The
2: way we make abortion unthinkable and make it unnecessary is we come alongside that young woman and the father of her baby. And her child to let them know that there are resources available for them.
1: A recent study from the Susan B. Anthony list shows a net gain in lives saved from abortion since the Supreme Court overturned Roe v. Wade on June 24th, 2022. We'll talk more about the March for Life a little later in the broadcast. Wintry weather has left 70 dead nationwide and more rough stuffs on the way today. The snow will pile high today along the east coast cities like philadelphia could get a half foot of the white stuff reporter carter evans is on the other side of the country in iced over portland oregon
2: blinding snow and dangerous ice continue to torment vast regions of the country making driving dangerous and even venturing outside deadly throughout this period of storm we are averaging around 900 to thousand calls a day here in portland a horrific loss of life caused by this Arctic blast. Three family members killed and a nine-month-old injured after power lines fell on their
1: SUV while they were inside. Since Sunday, some of the south towns of Buffalo have gotten more than five feet of the lake effect. This
2: is what you'll see around every corner in this western New York neighborhood, these towering snow piles as crews are running out of places to push the
1: snow. Correspondent Emily Akeda says right now the task of removing all that snow isn't a word daunting. Public Works Commissioner Nate Martin.
2: Front end loaders and dump trucks are on the streets so a lot of heavy equipment. Moving snow, clearing streets, hauling snow away. The operation is geared at clearing the streets, getting that amount of snow off the streets. We've got to get it out now to prepare ourselves for the rest of winter.
1: Some grocery store parking lots in Buffalo have mountains of snow 20 feet high. These Buffalonians are taking the wintry weather all in stride. Sort of. It's kind of nuts at this point. It keeps coming. I don't know.
4: This is what it is when you live here. And you got to love it. I feel like a
0: human snowball. <laughs> <laughs> you don't it. Kind of comfortable with it, but you never quite get used to it. I think I've seen enough snow for for one winter. <laughs>
1: That's what a few of you are saying today in the south towns of Buffalo. The Bills are once again calling for volunteers to help shovel snow at Highmark Stadium for this weekend's playoff game against the Kansas City Chiefs. It may be cold outside, but things are heating up on the presidential campaign trail. GOP candidates Donald Trump and Nikki Haley trading barbs with just a few days to go till the New Hampshire She's not going to make it. She has no chance. She's got no way. Maggie's not going to be with her.
4: The reason he's throwing these temper tantrums is because he knows I do have a chance.
1: Haley says Trump has too many distractions to be an effective leader.
4: I am acknowledging what everybody else is thinking. They're just not saying it. I'm going to say it because our families are on the line. We need someone who's going to be at the top of their game.
1: With four days to go till the New Hampshire primary, two new polls out today show Trump with a double-digit lead over Nikki Haley in the Granite State. On the Democrat side, one of the president's chief challengers is getting a boost in his campaign. Former presidential candidate Andrew Yang is supporting Minnesota Congressman Dean Phillips for president. Yang says Joe Biden is just too old to run again. The president is 81 years old. It's going to be tough to reinvent grandpa. He's not going to become a new candidate. You know what I mean? Despite concerns about his age, President Biden has $97 million in his Campaign war chest more than any other Democratic candidate in history. Iran backed Houthi rebels fired two more ballistic missiles at U.S. ships in the Red Sea today. They missed their target, thankfully. It comes after multiple rounds of U.S. airstrikes successfully took out terror targets in Yemen. Two U.S. Navy SEALs are still missing in the Middle East as a result of these stepped up attacks by Iran backed rebels. A high profile murder case from 20 years ago, is getting a second look by the Innocence Project. It's the case of Scott Peterson, who's serving a life sentence for the murder of his pregnant wife, Lacey. The Innocence Project wants to review the evidence from his original trial. Mike Mizieri served as a juror in that trial. He got a long way to go to convince me <laughs> that he wasn't guilty, because I spent five and a half months in a courtroom listening to testimony, looking at evidence. Peterson's death sentence was changed to life in prison in 2021. He killed his wife and unborn son on Christmas Eve of 2002. Shrimpers shrinking profits, causing concern in fishing communities along the coast. It's because of the glut of foreign imports. Now many in the shrimping industry say they won't make it without government help. Off South Carolina's coast... (laughs) Rocky Magwood shrimps with a jumbo problem. It's worse right now
3: than we've ever seen. People are dropping like flies out of this business. The issue, imported cheap shrimp from Asia, often subsidized by foreign governments. I would love to be out there at least six days a week. How many days are you on the water? two to three now. In 2022, local shrimpers here got 573 per pound. Last year, 339 per pound. I have a son that's five right now. He won't be able to do this the way it's going right now. There's no way. Mark
1: Strassman, Shem Creek, South Carolina. A SpaceX Dragon rocket with four astronauts aboard blasted off from Cape Canaveral Thursday afternoon. Three, two, one, ignition. The four European astronauts are taking part in just the third ever privately funded flight to the International Space Station. They'll dock early tomorrow morning and spend two weeks aboard the orbital outpost. A robotic mission to the moon is now at the bottom of the ocean
4: in the South Pacific. The launch of Peregrine 1 went fine, but soon after reaching space, a leak in the propulsion system doomed the mission that included a lunar lander and scientific instruments from other countries plus NASA. Tiny samples of dozens of cremated human remains were also on board, including those of Star Trek actress Nichelle Nichols. Most of the mission burned up entering the Earth's atmosphere with any remaining debris splashing down in the ocean east of Australia.
1: I'm Rory O'Neill. Still to come on the noon report, Bill's Chiefs Sunday at 6.30. Plane slides off runway in Rochester and the Sanctuary City Ban in Pennsylvania. Good
3: afternoon, I'm Kevin Williams calling for some shivering and some shoveling across our region heading into the weekend. I'll have forecast details coming up in 10 minutes.
1: Alright, Kevin, we'll see you then. Buffalo, New York continues to clean up from back-to-back storms that dumped multiple feet of snow on the South Town.
2: Beginning at 8 o'clock last night, the Buffalo Police Department began blocking off streets the city has targeted for snow removal. Parking enforcement will do a mini tow of vehicles parked on the street to a nearby street. The Buffalo Department of Public Works will then plow the street and remove the snow. The vehicles will be towed back to the original street. Residents are being asked not to run into the street if their vehicles are being towed. The vehicle will be returned at no charge. D. Haley
1: family life news. Okay, D, also worth mentioning the Bills looking for people to help shovel the snow ahead of Sunday's game against the Chiefs. Anyone 18 and older invited to go to Highmark Stadium starting at 2 o'clock this afternoon. Shovelers will be paid 20 bucks an hour. No injuries reported after a plane skidded off the runway at the Frederick Douglass Airport in Rochester, New York. The American Airlines flight had 53 souls aboard. When it came to a screeching halt in a grassy area these passengers
4: tell wham news it was very rocky um and jolty for probably maybe a second or two until we came to a full stop the runway must have been really icy because when he went around the corner we
2: went into the grass i noticed we were in the grass when the plane just kind of came to a complete stop and it kind of tilted over slightly we're on the right side so we can kind of feel it. Tult-
1: it took about an hour to get all those passengers off the plane and back into the airport. It had just touched down from Philadelphia when the flight skidded off the runway. New York Governor Kathy Hochul's $233 billion budget proposal may face some hurdles in the state legislature. Hochul's budget, which holds the line on spending increases, won't be an
2: easy sell, despite both legislative chambers being led by her fellow Democrats. Hochul in her budget office managed to close a more than $4 billion projected deficit by tamping down on spending growth. The Senate and Assembly will present their counter-proposals in the coming weeks, which may include spending increases and raising revenues. Hochul has already said she will not accept any new proposals for tax hikes, saying taxes are already high enough. Jeremy Miller, Family Life
1: News. Thank you, Jeremy. Pennsylvania Republican Representative Ryan McKenzie sponsoring legislation that would ban the creation of any more sanctuary cities in the Commonwealth. The House bill would also let victims sue if those cities knowingly release illegal immigrants who then commit crimes. They could be held liable
3: for that, and rightfully so. If they are now violating the law, which they're already doing, it's not xenophobic to want to talk about solutions for the border and what we
2: should do to fix that problem.
1: The No Sanctuary Cities bill is currently stalled in the House Judiciary Committee. It is unclear if Democrats who control the House will allow an up or down vote. Syracuse Mayor Ben Walsh unveiled some ambitious new housing proposals during yesterday's State of the City address.
2: Syracuse will have 2,500 new units of
3: quality housing completed or underway before I leave office at the end of 2025.
1: The mayor calling for an increase in the number of affordable homes in the Salt City. Most of the big projects uh, will be opening just around the same time as Micron is opening up its doors. So there's a great sense of urgency uh, to get a lot more housing units online uh, as quickly as possible. Walsh's plans are in the works for a new 270 unit apartment complex at a former golf course in Syracuse. Well, starting Sunday, it'll cost you more to send a letter in the mail. Here's reporter Michael Kastner. Wait, The United
2: States Postal Service will increase the cost of a first-class forever U.S. postage stamp from the current 66 cents to 68 cents price of domestic postcard stamps will also rise from 51 cents to 53 cents, and stamps for international postcards will go up a nickel to $1.55. The Postal Service
1: says these increases will help provide much-needed revenue. I'm Michael Kastner. All right, Michael, thank you for that. You're tuned in to The Noon Report, a Friday edition on Family Life. <laughs> It's the rematch. Good afternoon, and with your two-minute drill in sports, time, Bob Price for the third time in four years. The Kansas City Chiefs will take on the Buffalo Bills in the NFL playoffs, but this time, the Bills hold home field advantage. Quarterback Josh Allen. I think it's two teams that are very familiar with each other, so the wrinkles that they put in, that we put in, that we adjust to, those are going to be key to, to winning this game. Chiefs quarterback Patrick Mahomes on playing his first-ever road playoff game. I and mean, even though I know it's going to be hostile and there's going to there, there gonna be people talking trash and everything like that, I'm excited for it because, I mean, it's one of the best environments in football and you want to do that when you grow up watching these games is playing the best environments and see what it's like. Things will be rocking for sure at Highmark Stadium. Kickoff of the AFC Divisional Game set for 6.30 Sunday night on CBS. Other playoff action this weekend, the Texans and Ravens lock horns tomorrow at 4.30. In the nightcap, it's the Packers versus the 49ers. Sunday's early game features the Buccaneers against the Lions. Kickoff for that one, set for 3 p.m. on NBC. On the ice, the Buffalo Sabres blanked the Chicago Blackhawks last night. Three zip your score at Keybank Center. Sabres goalie Uka Pekalukanen stopped 19 shots to post his second consecutive shutout. Buffalo improves to one game below 500. They've won five of their last seven. The New York Knicks have won back-to-back games, posting a 113-109 to victory over the Washington Wizards. Knicks coach Tom Thibodeau called it a gutsy win. You know, we didn't play great, obviously, uh, but we found a way to win, which is the most important thing. Our turnovers were costly, but, uh, you know, just find a way to win the game, that's the bottom line. The Knickerbockers have won three of their last four and currently sit in third place in the Atlantic Division. And big news out of College Football football, Ohio State has hired Bill O'Brien as their new offensive coordinator. The former Alabama O.C. spent the past season with the New England Patriots in the NFL. At the Family Life Sports Desk, I'm Bob Price. And still to come on the Noon Report for a Friday pro-life parade in Washington, D.C. Wintry weather creates tricky travel and meet the man who's never missed a day of work. Welcome to Breakpoint, a daily look at an ever. Changing
2: culture through the lens of unchanging truth. For the Colson Center, I'm John Stone. Street. Seven hundred years ago, Italian scholar Marsilius of Padua helped lay the foundation for our modern ideas of popular sovereignty. In his book *Defensor Pacis*, written in the context of an ongoing battle in church-state relations, he anticipated the idea of separate spheres. church and state. Though tensions over the balance of power between church and state were probably inevitable eventually, it took surprisingly long for them to develop. In the Roman Empire, the state regulated religious practice. Christianity was an illegal religion in the empire for nearly 300 years. But when it was legalized, a precedent was set for the church to operate separately from the state, and for centuries, the two sides cooperated without much fundamental conflict. In 799, Pope Leo III was accused of a variety of crimes, so he appealed to Charlemagne, king of the Franks, for judgment. Though unsure whether he had jurisdiction over the Pope, Charlemagne acquitted Leo. Since this suggested that Charlemagne was in fact over the Pope, Leo decided to redress the balance by then crowning Charlemagne Emperor on Christmas of 800, which implied papal authority over that office. After Charlemagne, both the church and the state suffered serious decline. For nearly a century, the title of emperor fell into disuse and the papacy descended into a period of serious moral degeneracy. In the late 900s, with the aid of church reformers, the Germanic king, Otto I, managed to centralize enough power to be named Holy Roman Emperor. He and his successors deposed a series of corrupt popes and appointed reformers in their place. These reforming popes soon found their dependence on the emperor both theologically and politically problematic. Theologically, they began to argue that as the eternal is superior to the temporal and the spiritual to the physical, so the church is superior to the state and the pope to the emperor. In effect, this meant that the church was over the state early conflict was over who should name and install the bishops. Since Otto I, bishops had been a part of the imperial government. Emperors had insisted on their right to pick the bishops. The popes argued that bishops are primarily ecclesiastical offices and should therefore be appointed and installed by them. This issue finally came to a head when Pope Gregory VII excommunicated Emperor Henry IV and tried to depose him, while Henry also tried to depose Gregory and even invaded Italy in the process to somehow make it stick. The issue was eventually resolved by their successors, but the basic question of whether the pope was over the emperor or the emperor was over the pope, that just continued to fester, sometimes resulting in war or excommunication and the appointment of anti-popes and the context of all these conflicts. Marsilius of Padua wrote his book. He took the imperial side. He argued that the church had no jurisdiction in secular matters. It should interpret scripture and define dogma. Secular affairs were the responsibility of the civil government, whose members were to be elected and appointed by the most important citizens. In the same way, he believed that clergy, including the Pope, should also be elected by the people or their representatives. Even within the church, papal authority was limited since supreme authority was vested in church councils that were called by the emperor. Marsilius also argued that tithes should be eliminated that church property should be seized by the government, and that clergy should live in holy poverty. His work was supported by prominent Franciscans, most notably William of Ockham, who championed the ideal of apostolic poverty and was later promoted by Thomas Cromwell to support Henry VIII during the English Reformation. Defensor Apaches was an important step in advancing ideas of popular sovereignty and democracy, even though it implicitly supported imperial authority. And despite its blatant anti-clericalism, it made important contributions to ideas about the proper relations between church and state. Given our current debates about Christendom and Christian nationalism, studying historical works like this one could enrich our understanding of the place of the church in civil society. The Colson Center. I'm John Stone Street with Breakpoint.
1: All right, John. Uh, taking us to school today. Pretty heady stuff there. Uh, Kevin Williams has that complicated weekend forecast next.
3: Here is your family life weather forecast for this afternoon's periods of snow, fresh accumulations, generally an inch or two. Temperatures have been dropping. We'll spend much of the afternoon in the teens or low twenties. Then for tonight, tomorrow, lake effect snow showers. Several inches of snow will accumulate in favored areas southeast of Lake Erie, Lake Ontario, into the northern finger lakes. Low temps tonight, dropping toward over low 10 high temps tomorrow teens but the biting breeze tomorrow will cause wind chills to drop below zero at times on Sunday a few flurries breaks of sun high temperatures low to mid 20s
1: alright Kevin thank you it's Friday folks the 19th of January 2024 and you're listening to the noon report on family life mm-hmm. Welcome back to another edition of Capital Connection. Fridays during the noon report, we give you direct connection to what's happening in Albany and Harrisburg with the experts on the issues at the state capitals. They are Michael Gere at the Pennsylvania Family Institute and Jason McGuire at New Yorkers for Constitutional Freedoms. Well, Michael, I want to begin with you today. It is the 51st annual March for Life in Washington, D.C. I know you've sent busloads of pro-lifers to the National Mall to attend. I want to start with this question. What are, do you think, the major challenges facing the pro-life movement in 2020?
0: Well, I think the biggest one, Bob, comes from the figure you mentioned, which is the 51st annual March for Life. Americans have lived under court-imposed legalized abortion for 50 years since the Roe v. Wade decision in 1973. So that has taught Americans to view abortion as a right. That then forces them to think, well, nobody's going to take that away from me. And we see that in the abortion amendments, the constitutional amendments in places like Ohio that we just witnessed in November. Here in Pennsylvania, we have a very progressive movement in our House of representatives. There are four bills pending in the Pennsylvania House of Representatives that would expand abortion rights right up till birth. We'll be fighting those in this coming session.
1: I know there are over 20 states now where it's harder to get abortions since the overthrow of Roe, but I couldn't find the answer to this question. I wonder if you have it. Since that time, has there been fewer or more abortions in this country?
0: Well, the sense I get, and it's hard to quantify it officially, but the Susan B. Anthony list has uh, compiled basically research of CDC figures and Suggests that in the states that have put in these uh, more restrictive or more protective abortion laws, they've seen 32,000 additional babies that have been born as a result of the overturn of Roe v. Wade. So that's in the plus category, which is really exciting. Of course, we have these states going in the other direction, but there's not evidence that that is increasing numbers of abortions in significant ways compared to the life-saving efforts that have been going on in these pro-life states.
1: So ultimately, a net gain of lives saved since the yes. uh, historic Supreme Court decision. June 22, 2022, Jason, ironically, uh, since that ruling, it seems like, I know you uh, feel this in New York big time, it's been harder, not easier, to get the pro-life agenda across the proverbial
4: goal line. How come, do you think? Well, I think what's happening is the left has really been digging in the trenches now, and they're just doing everything they can to hang on to, in their view, their absolute right to an abortion. That's very concerning, but until we have a cultural change where hearts and minds are moved... We're not going to see the kind of move to the pro-life position that we would like to see here in New York and other states that lean towards pro-abortion positions.
1: I'll ask you the same thing. Um, I'm asked, Michael, what do you feel like are the major challenges on the sanctity of human life front in New York in 2024?
4: Well, you know, there are sanctity of life issues regarding the out-of-state abortions act we've been talking about. The state would like to fund... Abortions for women to come here from other places to receive an abortion. So, if they're coming from a state that, you know, that tends to favor pro life legislation, New York would pay for that woman's abortion. But it's not just beginning of life issues. We also are going to see a major push for assisted suicide in our state. Uh, that is really intensifying. And the pro life community needs to understand that the beginning of life and the end of life are both stages of life that need protection.
1: All right. Well, Michael, January is Human Trafficking Awareness Month. What's being done in Pennsylvania right now? now to prevent this crime from happening?
0: Well, there's good news that uh, legislation that was passed uh, late last year and signed into law by Governor Shapiro, this is legislation's lead sponsor, that is Senator Chris Dush from the western part of the state. He introduced legislation that deals with the victims of sex trafficking. Senate Bills 44 and 45 allow for that designation to be given to a person who is sex trafficked even when they cannot or will not name the person who is trafficking them. That's important because historically, many times, uh, especially if they're minors, they're afraid to say who it is that's trafficking them.
1: Gotcha. Well, hey, Jason, Governor Hochul put dollars and cents this week on her policy proposals that she outlined last week in her State of the State speech. A lot of dollars, don't know how much cents, but a $233 billion budget proposal. That is no chump change, as they say. What were the major headlines from her budget? budget address this week?
4: Well, I think the headline is that Governor Hochul played it safe when it came to this year's budget. I think she has an eye on the November elections. Uh, Democrats have been having a more difficult time here in New York. And with major seats for Congress up this year, every state legislative race, I think she's playing it safe. That being said, the budget does still increase. And so while the governor had good words, straight talk about the need to tighten the belts and that the the gravy train can't go on with no end in sight, the budget went up again. And I think Is a concern there that even in years in which we say it is a tightening of the belt, we are still going to see another increase in the overall rate of taxation here in New York State?
1: Well, Michael, we saw Donald Trump trounce the competition in Iowa this week. I know they're gearing up for New Hampshire next week, but both uh, Governor Shapiro and Senator Fetterman uh, say, hey, they want Trump to stay on the ballot in Pennsylvania for your primary election in April. Do Pennsylvania Democrats like their chances against Trump? versus the other two candidates left in the race, DeSantis and Haley. And if so, how come?
0: Well, I think maybe they do. You know, it's interesting because these presidential elections and the primaries going into the general election are very fluid and can change from week to week and month to month. But polling has indicated that some of the other candidates that could potentially be on the Republican ballot in November uh, fare better than Trump does. So that may be a motivating factor in terms of why Fetterman and Shapiro are saying that. The other part of it is just our elections, in Pennsylvania are notable for being kind of messed up and maybe they just think hey let's leave this one alone and let the process go the way it ordinarily does and maybe that's a motivation for them to just say hands off on trying to pull him off the ballot.
1: Gotcha, well talking politics Jason, let's uh, talk about that special election on February 13th on Long Island. This is the race to replace the former Congressman George Santos of course the Democratic challenger is a guy that's uh, well known to politics, Tom Swazi. the Republican challenger this woman is fascinating. You read her bio, it's like, wow, mother of seven, former Israeli soldier, Ethiopian-born candidate. How likely is it that that seat stays in Republican hands?
4: Yeah, you're referencing Mazzie Pillop, and she does have an interesting uh, biography. I think the Republicans were looking for a very diverse candidate in what is an increasingly diverse district, and they may have it in Mozzie Pillop. Uh, I think it's probably a toss-up at this point as to whether or not the seat stays with Republicans. It's going to be a very expensive race it's coming up very quickly. But essentially, you have the known brand in Tom Swansea, the Democrat, against this Republican, Mozzie Pillop. And uh, we'll know a lot about the mood of the people there in Long Island by the time this race is decided on February 13th. And
1: by the time it's decided, they'll have
4: to start thinking about
1: r- running again because the seat's up again in November. Michael, before we go, you hosted a prayer service at the state capitol this week. Tell us a little bit about what motivated you to spearhead that event.
0: Yeah, it was a snowy Tuesday here in Harrisburg as the Capitol Rotunda held this gathering with pastors from throughout central Pennsylvania. It was sponsored by our Church Ambassador Network, and the the reason and rationale for it is really, remember someone describing the Capitol as a dark place. The nature of power, politics, etc., needs the light of the gospel, and so that's really what that was about, is to, to kind of, as a new part of the session is starting out, that we set a tone of prayer and worship in, our state capital.
1: Yeah, Jason, you talk, this because reminds me of your whole mission statement. why we love having you guys on every week, is it's not just to influence legislation, but to influence legislators for Christ. I know in New York, that is a very difficult thing to do these days, but just talk about that mission statement and why it matters now more than ever.
4: Yes, yeah, we do obviously want to influence public policy, but we also want to influence the hearts and the minds of our elected Officials and help them see their need for Jesus. That's why we have this weekly Bible study that meets. Uh, at the beginning of the new session, we're now in the second week of the weekly Bible study. About 18 different members are attending that on average. Um, and, you know, it's just its a wonderful opportunity for Democrats and Republicans to come together and to hear the gospel of Jesus Christ and have an opportunity to receive it in their own lives.
1: Mm, love what you guys do. And more importantly, love who you are and uh, love spotlighting you each and every Friday on Capital Connection. If you have questions about the March for Life or the sanctity of life issues facing Pennsylvania in 2024, Michael, you have a wonderful website. Where can folks go and learn more? PAFamily.org. And stay informed on all the issues in New York as the legislative session heats up again. Jason, where can folks find you?
4: AlbanyUpdate.com.
1: All right, gentlemen, thank you very much. Capital Connection comes your way every Friday during the Noon Report or online anytime at familylife.org.
3: A very good afternoon to all. Here is your Family Life regional weather forecast. On the weather map, we're tracking a disturbance crossing through Pennsylvania, bringing some snow to parts of the area. Its departure will allow frigid air to filter into the region, and that'll mean some lake effect snows going on southeast of the lakes in different areas And have seen it of late. The gulf for this afternoon is periods of snow, fresh accumulations generally an inch or two. Temperatures have been dropping. We'll spend much of the afternoon in the teens or low 20s. Then for tonight and tomorrow, lake effect snow showers, several inches of snow will accumulate in favored areas southeast of Lake Erie, Lake Ontario, including Chautauqua and Erie counties in New York and Pennsylvania, and the south shore of Lake Ontario into the northern Finger Lakes. Low temps tonight dropping toward or below 10. High temps tomorrow teens, but the mighty breeze tomorrow will cause wind chills to drop below zero at times. On Sunday, a few flurries, breaks of sun, high temperatures, low to mid-20s.
1: All right, Kevin, great work this week at the Weather Center. Finally at noon, a Burger King worker who's never missed a day of work for 27 years got a goodie bag for his service. Yeah, that's right, a goodie bag. Then the internet found out about it and gave him nearly half a million dollars. Check this out. 56-year-old Kevin Ford, a single dad raising two daughters, has worked for the same Burger King in Vegas since 1995. For his consecutive day's work streak, Ford got a complimentary movie ticket, a Starbucks cup, some candy, a couple of pens, and keychains. He posted to TikTok that he was grateful for that goodie bag, and that's when Ford's fortunes changed big time. See, one of his daughters created a GoFundMe page for her dad, and the donations poured in. People seemed amazed by Ford's hardworking and humble attitude. So far, that fundraiser surpassed the $450,000 mark, and it keeps going up. Ford says he plans to use the money to pay off his debt, purchase some plane tickets to visit his kids, and then save for retirement. Something Kevin Ford has most assuredly earned. And that's the world we live in. Friday, January 19th. I'm Bob Price. Family Life News.
0: You've been listening to The Noon Report. Heard weekdays on Family Life. Thank you for listening.